As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Hi, it's Monty here. Welcome back to On Farm. This time we're heading back to Ness on the north of Lewis in the Western Isles. Oh, there's the eagle. There's the eagle there. I just saw wings behind that. Just skimming the ground. Oh, there it is now. There it is now. There it is now. There's a white tail there anyway. There's a young golden eagle here. Fabulous. It's the second half of our chat with Crofter councillor and BBC Albert TV presenter Donald McSween. On-farm producer Dave Howard has been spending time with Donald. This episode is supported by the Scottish Rural Network and will open on the wide peat moors of Lewis. It's where Donald keeps his cattle with, as we'll hear, a bit of help from modern technology. We're heading out onto the common grazing right now because that's where my cows are. The majority of crofts here are tenanted, so I am the tenant. I don't actually own the croft, but I've got security of tenure. As long as I put that to an agricultural use, it cannot be taken off me. It's an asset. I can then sell that asset, but the Crofty Commission have to give approval. That's a regulatory body for crofting. So they have to give approval. If you were wanting to buy a croft off me, for example, you would have to put in a business plan and say, this is what I want to do with a croft. And, you know, I'm going to be moving here with my young family and adding to the community, you know, all these kind of things. If you didn't have a clue and you were just saying like, and I would never, dare of suggesting that you didn't have a clue <laughs> but but if you didn't have a clue and you thought I want to buy a croft and and just um, you know don't do anything with it and you know maybe just have horses on it then that's that's a great area it's not 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 quite um, yeah so just having the money to buy it is not is, a lot, is, is, is not the hurdle to get over it's a lot of people get caught out they think I'm going to buy a croft. I'm going to go and live the dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it happens a lot. You get people, they, they come and buy a croft and maybe they've been here in the summer and you think, oh, it's, you know, it's quite nice, it's okay. But it's very different in uh, in, in January when it's it's pitch black. You're, you're, you know, if you're working over in Stormier or in an office or something, you only see your, your croft in daylight hours on a Saturday and a Sunday. And we don't do any work most of us don't do any work here on a Sunday so you've got one day of the week that you're going to be a crofter because you're not going to do anything in the mornings and the and the evenings so it's it's a totally different ball game so this is us going out the peat road the the road to the common grazing so either side of the road right now are our common grazing um, village parks so they're all there's some of my sheep I don't think anybody else's sheep in there just now so they're my sheep on the left the, the field on the right is where we put our rams yeah yeah. So this is just wide open. It's not fenced off at all. It's uh, just common land. Uh, 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 fenced from the road. But. Fenced from the road, yeah. So so on the left here, yeah, that's a 30 hectare park. And then when we cross this, so here is our village fank. 
So that's just a communal sheep handling area. So you get them all in there and then you separate them out yeah. to the to the particular crofters that own the sheep. So we're now we've just come over the cattle grid and this is us on the open moor. So there's nothing between us here and Stornoway on the other side of the island. Wow. So, so you're probably I don't know, twenty miles as the crow flies, fifteen miles as the crow flies. It's a it's a twenty-five mile drive. This is probably the kind of roads you thought you were coming to. <laughs> this is a peat road, so this is just... Well, how, how do you describe it? it it's basically just... Bumpy. but Very bumpy, carved out of, the, out of the peat. The reason this road is here is not for animal management, it's for taking the peats home or accessing the peats. And this year, it's, 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 you know, peat cutting is making a bit of a comeback as well because of the, the price of... Um, you know, energy costs going up, and you know, one one of the one of the the guys that um, that that cuts peats, he says his orders have tripled this year. So this is a, a a free a free resource for us. I say free. There's, there's, you know, if you're going to do it by hand, there's a lot of work to be done. But what one of the concerns with the whole kind of environmental movement, and and. I, I will sound like I'm like I'm I'm one of these aunties. I'm not. I, I recognise that the things have to be done. I'm all for renewables, but blanket bans on anything don't work. You have to remember the traditional communities as well. And and you know you you could say well, why should we be allowed to cut peat? Well, look at all around us here. This there's no trees, so we. You're looking at the, uh, the, the, the peat banks on the other side here, all these lines that you can see on, on the ground, these are peat banks, these are ancient peat banks. People would not have lived here for the best part of, what, a thousand years, probably over, a th it's, no, it's over 2,000 years people have lived here, but they couldn't have lived here if it wasn't for the peat. So why, in the blink of an eye, are we going to be stopped from doing that? I, I, I understand the big picture stuff, but until all the houses here are insulated to within an inch of their lives, that, that energy is affordable for people. We have, I think, the highest... B before the energy crisis, we had the highest rate of fuel poverty in the UK where people are spending more than 10% of their income on or heating their homes. So fuel poverty is already an issue here. And if you're taking away the one energy resource we have on our doorstep, because the other thing we have is wind, but I can't do anything with that wind without spending 20, 30,000 pounds to, to get some from my house. And okay, the carbon side of things for the peat, I get it. But in the short term, if you take away the peat, then it's going to have to come in, it's going to be oil or it's going to be wood that's coming from the mainland and be transported by tanker and, and ship and everything. Because yeah. actually, you know, when you're digging up and burning peat, you're burning ancient, ancient carbon that's been locked away for millennia. And that on, the, on paper is never going to be a good thing until you understand the kind of nuanced arguments that you're putting forward now. Exactly. And, and, I, and I think that that's... It's, it's just important that our voices are not forgotten in all of this. You've got to speak to us because I could go down to, you know, your average punter in, in Edinburgh or, or in, in London or whatever and say, 
should there be a blanket ban on peat extraction? Most of them will say yes, because we're insignificant. But it's significant to us. This isn't just the this the cultural aspect of it or of it, which is which is is important. But it's the practical aspect. It's you know that yes, there is a climate emergency, but there's also an energy emergency. So you know, if if you want people to to live in areas like this and not just be a playground for for tourists, then you have to make it viable for people to live in these places. So you can see my cows now, anyway. So the cows, the Highland cows, they live out here for nearly all of the year, and they they just roam the common grazing. I also use them for conservation grazing with the RSPB in the winter. So corn crakes are. Well, we know. Oh, it's this over here. It's geese. So you can see the, the geese here with the goslings. Oh running yes, away. yeah. So they're just they're just waddling away beside the road. Um, we have a major problem with geese. There's there's thousands of them, and um, you know the the the, sh the pro isn't proper management done to them. How many? I think it's three goslings we've got there. They just go, they appear in people's gardens and stuff and just demolish everything. So here's the cows. <clears throat> So the cows are uh, a relatively new thing here. I think I've had them maybe six years now. So still learning. You're always learning with livestock, but um, still learning a lot when it comes to the, the cattle. They're all Highland or Highland crosses, and they've been, yeah, they've they've, they've been brilliant. They've been they've been absolutely fantastic. And I think we'll get out here. Are you, you're not scared of cows, are you? I'm not scared of cows, no. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Although, we should say for the podcast, you shouldn't get too close to cows unless you're with the farmer well, or the crofter who knows what they're doing. This is the thing. See this, this white one beside us? She loves to stab. Now, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps I will stay in the truck. <laughs> she, she, does, she loves to stab. And I've had a group of kids here before, and, and I remember saying, just like you said, there are a wee public safety uh, announcement. And I remember saying, you know, whatever you do, you know, don't turn your back on cows. You, you've got to be careful. Keep your eye on them all the time. And as I was doing this, I had my back turned to her and she shoved her horn up my backside. <laughs> so those as, kids... As if, as if on cue. <laughs> yes, those kids learned that I, was, I meant business. Right, let's go. So what we've got here is... these are the, I started off with two, the brown one there and the white one. And then I got the, this, this black one. The black one here, she doesn't have horns, but she was dehorned as a calf because she was raised as a pet and she was stabbing the others that were in the, in the shed with her. So she came to me dehorned. Throw it, throw it, throw it. And we'll see if she'll, if she'll come up to me. Throw it as come in Gaelic. Bit of motivational cake. Yes. So she'll come up to me now. She'll, she'll eat out of my hand. So these are all, uh, they're all pregnant. There's six, six, six pregnant cows here just now, due uh, three weeks. The brown one here is due three weeks tomorrow. And she's, she's been, she's been a bit, uh, I was out, out here earlier looking at them and she was, she was a bit under the weather, I think. So what, what, what do you know, what's, what's, what looks out of place on these cows just now? Yeah, no, the one thing I would say I'm not familiar with is the, um, I thought they were um, yeah. bells to begin with, but they're radio. They, this is geofencing collars. So these, this is from a firm called No Fence. 
they use GPS and like I said there's, there's nothing between us and Stornoway here so the cows have a massive area to, to roam in. I got these in October and ever since I got them fixed all my problems overnight. The cows, there's never that text or phone call saying your, your cows are out. You know, so that 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 has all been sorted. And I was talking. I, I mentioned to you earlier that I do conservation grazing for the RSPB in the winter. A lot of that is done. It's it's they're in corncrake schemes, and the, these the crofts need to be um, grazed by cattle. Just scratching. She's herself. got an itchy head. Look, <laughs> scratching herself on my leg. <laughs> and um, the crofts need to be grazed. A lot of these crofts aren't fenced. You know, it's not totally stockproof. You could go in with um, electric fences, but electric fences in the winter here aren't reliable you know they get blown over and if they don't work the cows go everywhere so the cows are fully trained on these collars the collars work they're, they're brilliant they I, I wish i'd i wish i got them years ago i've got a spare one in the back there so i'm going to get that for you and, and, and i'll show you what it looks like you're going to put it on me <laughs> Give you a wee electric shock. Aye, that's what it is, right? So it's a little. It looks like like the, the like these bells you a see. Cow bell, yeah. Cow bell, Austrian yeah. cowbell. Either side of this, it's it's a solar panel. So that's a solar panel there that charges the battery. That's the battery in inside it, and that this goes around the cow's neck, and it's got a green rubbery bit that goes around the back of the neck. But then it's two. It's a chain either side. As they approach a boundary, which I, I set the boundary on the app on my phone, as they approach the boundary, they get an audio alarm. That gets louder and louder and louder. If they reach the boundary, they get an electric shock. And that electric shock, it's approximately one third the power of an electric fence. But the cows now know that uh, as, soon as, the, as soon as the audio alarm starts, that, you know, they stop and they, and they, and they turn back. And they took a few days to, to be trained on it, but I just drew like a line in the middle of the croft one day and I walked out and then all the cows are standing in the middle, of, in a la, you know, in a line there. It's like, okay, that's it work. They know now not to do it. You know, I could draw a, an area here that has no fences at all. I've had them right up beside the, the, the road, right beside the road, and they will not, they will not escape. So we've talked in the past, um, we spoke to Giles Henry down in the borders a couple of weeks ago about strip grazing uh -huh. uh, and moving fences strip to strip to strip to make the, get the best out of his grass. Yep. You could be doing that here with this no fence system without the, the fences. You could just on the app, presumably, change what? the boundary that, that they get hit by. Without having to get out of my bed. <laughs> Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's that. You know, it, it is. I'll, I'll 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 get my phone. So there we go. We can see. Let's just get it to refresh. But yeah, it works brilliantly. I can uh, I can move them. I can check them. Uh, it gives me an because they're out in the moor here. I can put exclusion zones in. Say there's a particularly dangerously boggy part or a loch. I can exclude them from that. Could exclude them from the river if I didn't want them to be crossing the river. And you know, are you scared of a horn here just now? No, but I'll take your guidance. Take <laughs> no, your she's, guidance. she's fine. This one, this one's fine. Um, so yeah, you can you can do that. You can protect the environment as well as the as the cattle. The other thing it does is if it doesn't detect movement. So if, for example, they were stuck in a bog, it'll send me a thing saying movement hasn't been detected in. Uh, in a while and then I can go and, and check that. I've actually got a drone as well. So in theory, 
I could be here. From your bed. From my bed. <laughs> open the window, fly the drone out the window, <clears throat> and go and check the cows. So I could do visual, because they, they, be, they can be far out on the moor. And sometimes I don't want to disturb them. I, I can get them to come into me. If they hear the pickup of the quad, they'll, they'll come looking for me. But I can, I can leave them out wherever they're grazing, check them with the, with the drone, and then not disturb them. But I think it'll be good when they're calving. I've only had the drone a few, a few months. And I think it'll be good when they're calving that I can do visual checks on them when they're calving without getting too close and bothering them. These collars have already paid themselves back in one winter because I, I, I reduced my feed bill completely. So these cows are, are paying for themselves. That's so important right now as well. The cost of inputs going through the roof. Lots of people are going to be thinking more and more about these sorts of alternative solutions. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Like the, the collars that I've got there, because I'm a crofter, there's a crofting agricultural grant scheme. So I got a 60% grant for the collars. You know, that, that makes them more affordable. But they were, they were about just under 300 quid each, I think, off the top of my head. If I get a 60% grant for that, excellent. And then if it's reducing my feed bill, that's even better. It means it, it, it makes them even more affordable in the long term. When, the collar, when I got the collars within two, three weeks, I could see how, how effective they were going to be. I went and I bought another cow. That black cow over there behind us, I bought her straight away because it's like, oh, these are brilliant. Basically free cow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, the, 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 the money that I would have spent on feeding them that winter bought me another cow. When they're on the, the other crofts doing the conservation grazing, I'm checking them every two, three days anyway. So you don't notice it. And then we did a, we had an open, the RSPB and Nature Friendly Farming Network did a, oh, there's an eagle. There's Where an, now? Uh, it's just d- dipped d- under the thing, dipped out of, out of sight. We'll come to the eagles. Don't. There's plenty to talk about there, but we had an open day, and then people were coming. People were coming, and you know, this is fresh eyes in my cows, and they're like, "Oh, your cows in great condition," and that's that's very reassuring because when you see them every day, you don't really notice and appreciate it. And then when I say, "Well, I've only spent like 150 pounds on mineral licks for them just to keep them sweet," that's all I've spent th- on them this winter, and yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's brilliant and. Hopefully, there's, uh, there's, I've got eight, eight head of cattle here. There's, ca- there's a calf and there's a bullock, but the other six are pregnant. Touch wood if, if I have, well, I, I would hope at least five calves out of this. So if I get five calves, I'll be getting more collars for, for this winter. And, and uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. So you can see a way forward for expanding and, and growing that herd a bit. And... Yeah, I can, see, I can see real growth opportunities there. If I can keep them... You know, like that, that the, where's the bullock? The bullock is here somewhere. I, I don't know where he is. He's two now, but he's not ready to kill. So I can keep him for three, four, five years maybe until he's fully grown, ready to be slaughtered. He's, he's a pure highland. But because of the collar, there's no running costs for him, if you know what I mean. There's no, there's no feed costs in the winter. The only costs really are going to be a little bit of my time, which isn't much because they're looking after themselves and maybe some medicinal treatment every, every now and again. So if I can keep, it's, it's about keeping the inputs down. That's the only thing I've got control of, keeping the inputs down. And yeah, they, they went to an Aberdeen Angus bull last, uh, last summer. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, I've been really lucky. The, how many have I had? Eight. I've had eight calves born. Seven of them have been female. So that's been great while I'm building the herd. Now I've reached the stage where I'm happy with the numbers. Like, 
please give me five or six males this year. It's going to even out, right? Yeah, yeah. So then there's no decisions to be made in terms of are they staying or are they going. As soon as they're born, I know, sorry, you're going, but that's going to be beef down the line. Wow. <clears throat> Shall we go for a spoon to see if we spot an eagle? Love to. You yeah. jump in then. Because actually, we'll talk about environmental management and stuff shortly as well. Shoot! Yeah, so actually, we should talk about that, that your Highland cattle that we've just been looking at, they are instrumental in helping to keep this moorland the way that it is and the way that people like to see it. Yeah, they, they, they are. That, and that, that, that's the, I think that's the important thing. You know, the, these cows, and, and the, the same with the sheep, they're built for this environment. This is their natural habitat. And, and, and what benefits do they provide? Because actually the, the hoof prints dig up the ground and then the wildflowers grow. Yeah, there's, there's, all, there's all these kind of things. The cows in particular, because they the way they hoover up everything, they, you know, I was talking earlier about the conservation grazing for the, for the corn creeks and things, they're hoovering up the dead grass as well as the, as the, as the living grass, allowing new growth to come through, allowing, uh, allowing corn creeks to, you know, to have cover in the, in the spring you know they're they're part of the of the cycle, and the other thing is, they're taking in one end, but they're providing fertilizer out the other. So, and then that's providing bugs, and then you know bugs are providing food for for birds. So it 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 is it is that cycle. I think I think the 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 last two years have shown us how important food security is. If, for example, when COVID hit and everybody was panicking about. Are we going to have, you know, that's the first time in my lifetime that we've had empty shelves in, in the shops. But we were, I knew we'd be fine because if we had to, we could go and slaughter some sheep. So we weren't going to starve anyway. And the time of year, it's like, well, we can go and catch some fish. We can, you know, you, 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 can, you can live off the land. There's that side of things. And now we've been so reliant as well on synthetic fertilizers. And then when you look at, you know what's going on in in, in Ukraine, uh, the price of fertilizer going through the roof and the price of fuel, and you're going to be working big tractors to you know for your high output. If you can then get people to harvest all your crops, I've got fertilizers, you know, natural fertilizers that that are that are fertilizing the crop free. So there's a lot of benefits that that have to be factored in. If and and like I said, I think the the food security and the the food security over the past couple of years has maybe highlighted the the, the importance to a lot of people who had never ever considered it before because food was always just in Tesco without having to think about it. I think what's becoming clear as we chat, Donald, is that there's no black and whites in any of this, is there? You're living very much in the shades of grey. You're living in an equilibrium of different decision makings and kind of things that have knock-on impacts on other things. Yeah, it's it's a bit like my hair colour now. It used to be jet black, but it's a lot of grey in there. The world that we live in is used now to being polarised. It is black or white. That grey area in the middle. 280 characters on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't get me wrong, I love it. Love it, but... Love a fight. <laughs> yeah, love a fight. But... I think you're right that we live in the grey. And I think probably most of us live in the grey. But social media forces us to be either black or white. And it's it's very difficult to let people see that. And you can you can be I know plenty of people have argued with on Twitter. 
you've been paying for blood. Then as I've calmed down, you're like, I actually, we probably agree on more than we disagree on. It's it's the nuance in 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 between it all that has been lost, and I think that's that's the yeah it's a societal thing now. I might sound like I'm telling you off. I don't mean to, but actually arguing with folk on Twitter isn't going to get you very far. It's looking for the common ground and looking for the the ways forward that is going to make progress. Again, I don't want to sound no, like I'm no, 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 I know, boring. I know. No, I know, I know, and 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 you're absolutely right because. When I say I argue with folk on, on Twitter, you know, a lot of it, what I, my, my, one of my go-to things is send a picture of my cows out here on the moor. You know, you'll say rewilding or, 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 or veganism. And I'll just send them a photo of the cows here and say, you know, if it's rewilding, it's like, okay, would you plant trees here? Now, I know that this is deep heat over 50 centimetres and that Scottish government, for example, would not fund any planting of trees on deep heat here. Uh, the other thing, you know, uh, maybe I, I will admit to trolling the odd vegan now and again and say, do you like to eat heather or grass? Because that's the only stuff that's going to grow out here. We're not going to grow any... No, no, potatoes and turnips aren't going to grow here. You're not going to grow fruit and veg out here. If we, the people here, are going to be uh, have any any form of food security, we've got... It's, it's livestock are, the, are the, the answer here. Food security, but also being economically active. Yeah. If, if we go back a few steps, I think the issue is that a lot of people today are disconnected as to where their food comes from. I met, uh, there's a, a boy who plays uh, in the same football team as me and his his girlfriend was from, I think she might have been from Glasgow, she was a vegan and he, <laughs> he introduced us and he was like, he, he, he was like... He knew, did he? He knew, he knew, he was like, <laughs> I can't remember her name and he was like... This is uh, this is her, and then he goes, and this is Sweeney. He's a crofter, and he's basically he just lit the touch paper and ran away, and he was like, he's just giddy in the background. And the conversation I was had, having with her, and she was rattling off all the stuff that I've heard a million times, but I knew within about thirty seconds that I was the first person that was able to act that, that had answers to these things. So it's easy, and this isn't a criticism of of, of vegans. This is a criticism of, of society where we've become so disengaged as to as to where our food is coming from. If people have are, are properly educated as to the the whole process, you take livestock out of it. Let's t- let's take sheep out of the process. Okay, that means it's much less viable for anybody here to be an active crofter. It means that people aren't going to be engaged in in the crofting setup. You take sheep out of it, you're not going to have wool which is a much more natural and sustainable clothing than the stuff full of microplastics that everybody wears. Better for the environment. You take wool out of it and you're not going to have Harris Tweed, which is a big employer in these islands. So there are lots of of, of nuance. Again, everything held in balance. Precariously, actually. But there are little things that you can see that, if I put my finger on, lack of knowledge of the food system that that is one of the the issues for me if it's going to be viable i'm selling a product but i'm selling a story as well so i've got to sell the story has to be as good as the product that's why we're here really that's why we've come here with the podcast so what is your story what is what is the story of the of of the meat that you sell Right now, I don't know. <laughs> no, I think it's it's low input, low output. 
it's evo- I'm I'm learning over the years what do people what do people want what works with people. I think the more low input, low output route that I that I go down, the the, the better the feedback is. I am now running a lot of the crofting business the same way as my grandfather was. If you went back to my grandfather's generation, I reckon his way of crofting would have been identifiable. You know, somebody who lived here a thousand years before would recognise some of the ways that, that he worked because they had to work with the environment. And social media, this would, 20 years ago, none of this would be viable. I couldn't do it if I didn't have social media and I can reach 20, 30,000 people in the blink of an eye. Like when I have pork, a lot of the pork goes to Lewis and Harris because the pork is different here. There's not many pigs here. Lamb, not many people here want to buy lamb because if they want lamb, somebody has it. Beef, again, is is, is relatively relatively easy, easy to sell here. But... Uh, for the the niche market that I'm aiming for, it's it's get it off island. But to get it off island, oh, there's the eagle. There's the eagle there. I just saw wings behind that. Oh, missed it again. <laughs> Where am I looking? Pretty much straight ahead. Oh, oh, oh. So you see this? Just skimming the ground. Oh, there it is bit. now. There it yeah, is now. Yeah, yeah. There it is now. Yep, that's a, I think that's a white tail. There was a white tail there anyway. There's a young golden eagle here. So it could be the young golden eagle. Fabulous. So there you go. I mean, it looks like a white-tailed eagle from here. That was great. Shall we turn around? <laughs> now we've seen. Now we've seen the eagle. We've seen the eagle. Evidence of eagle. You are far away from the sorts of centres of decision making. How do you make sure that that those important voices of the people living here are heard by the people making those decisions? Do you feel like they're keen to hear your perspectives? The the problem is that when it's, you know, a quango or, you know, a, a department or something, and it's like, it's rural this, it's island that, then when that issue is maybe raised mainstream, you know, let's say it's some kind of island schools issue they'll say that's an island issue that's not a, that's not an education issue or that's that's an island's issue not a development issue it's it's important that the our voices are still heard at the big table not just the, the the little tables on the outside yeah but how how does that how how would you like to see that happen or happen better i mean i know that in terms of lewis you know western isles crofting I have a platform, you know, I do TV stuff. Not everybody knows who I am, I know that, but I have more of a platform than, than many others. So anybody listening to this, they might have heard me on TV or on another podcast or on radio or something like that. It's emphasize these messages again and again and again. I, I love pulling people up on Twitter about it as well. You know, calling a, a, a house a croft or saying that we're remote instantly. Instantly, the question is red, red rag to a bull. Uh, remote from what? You know, that's that. That's always my question. This is the centre of the universe. I think you're learning that now. It's the centre of my universe, anyway. I mean, you you look you look out this door, out, out that window right now. Okay. What can you see? Moorland. Uh huh. A lane, the peat, the peat road, uh-huh. as you called it. Wildflowers, clouds, rain. Okay, right, I'm going to tell you what I see. I see all the peat banks. 
over there, I can just see the part of the wall from an old fank that's probably several hundred years old. Here, the crooked glass, the green mounds in front of us, which were either roundhouses or burial mounds. You, I don't know, if you, you can see how they're bright green right in front of us. This is where people lived or died thousands of years ago. You could come here and say, this is a pristine environment, untouched by man. Empty. Empty. But it's not. This is, this is a managed landscape and has been for thousands of years. What, um, just something to sort of finish up the episode, I suppose, but what are the biggest things that you wish people understood better about crofting? What are the things that, given, given that we will have people listening to this in Holyrood, in those positions of influence, what should they know? The basics. You're using the wrong terminology. Then you've instantly got no credibility here and you are perpetuating stereotypes elsewhere. A lot of the issues are really because Scottish media or even UK media are remote. They are far, far away and they use the stereotypical language and all it does is re-emphasise stereotypes. I know I was on it, but I, you know, uh, in 2020, R Ramesh Ranganathan, the comedian, he, he, you know, he did his programme he came up here to the misadventures of Ramesh Ranganathan and came to the Hebrides and I was his guide for, for the week. But he got it. He recognised the fact that he was travelling to a different place. They treated us with respect. They treated us the same as if they were going to Colombia or Nepal or somewhere else. They recognised that it wasn't going to be exactly the same as being in London and that they had to do their research, have to, had to do their, their work beforehand. A lot of people come here and they know their story already. This is a story we're going to tell and we're going to make whatever we meet fit the story because this is what our viewers or what our listeners want to hear. They don't care what our story is and what actually impacts us. What they find when they get here, they've already pre... Yeah. Predecided what they're gonna. They're, yeah, I think there's a word for that. It's called churnalism. Have you heard that word? Yes, I've have I've heard that word. And <laughs> fortunately, I've been busy correcting a lot of that today. <laughs> I don't think we're the worst offender. <laughs> no, you're not. I do think though that actually, even in Scottish agriculture, we like to think that we speak to Scottish agriculture. Lots of people th say farms and crofts in one sentence. Yeah. yeah. Farming and crofting. There's a. There's loads of differences between farming and crofting. Yeah, although I'm not a farmer, so I, I can't tell you. I speak to farmers. You're a food producer. I'm a food producer, yeah. We have, I think the economies of scale, you know, the, that's the big difference. The socioeconomic benefits of crofting, there are so many intangible benefits to crofting. You know, I'm speaking to you, ach, so I've just said that, you know, I'm speaking to you and then I can switch to another language. And crofting was a big part of me learning that language. Where, where in the system is that recognised? That intergenerational transmission where I was brought up in a, in a Gaelic-speaking crofting community and crofting was a big part of me learning about my environment, about my landscape about my language, my heritage, 
there's a lot more to it than just the tangible stuff. I think I'm not the one answering the questions, but but the question that I just asked you is, which was, what should people understand better? I think if if it was me answering, that would be my answer. That it's not just economics that you're representing here; it's history, it's heritage. You are a, a, a direct lineal descendant of thousands and thousands of years of, of unique heritage here. I'm putting words in your mouth now. I, know, I don't I know, mean to but, do that. But, but, but you're making me think right now, like three or four years ago, I was burying a ram at the bottom of the croft and you can see you know, behind us how sandy the soil is in, in at the bottom, very fertile soil in here. And I was burying a ram and I found a human skull. You know, um, I, think, I think it was, it was Iron Age, you know, it's over 2,000 years old. Um, found Viking, uh, we found a Viking comb another day, you know, and instantly you 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 thought, you're thinking people have been living here for thousands of years. I'm here right now. I am a blip in the timeline, and when you see things changing so quickly, it is a concern because my grandfather's generation, you know, he was still taking sheep out onto the moor, staying in a sheiling in the summer, transhumances in it and that, that kind of stuff, when people and their livestock, you know, move. And in the summer, the, fam, the, the, the people here would move out and live on the moor at this time of year. That's all, it's not all gone, but like 99% of it has gone because we are now becoming the same as everybody else in the world. Globalism is this great thing, it's given us all individual opportunities but we're losing our, our individual or, or our local identities as well so the world is a much more interesting place when you meet different people you wouldn't go and travel anywhere if everybody was the same and if everywhere was the same and everyone had the same experiences experiences are what make life worth living that's an important part of it. It's, it's not that I don't want change. Change is important. You've got to evolve and move with the times. But also, don't just walk away and forget everything that's come before you. It's, you're here for a reason. That's brilliant. Will we wrap it there? Yes, 10 to 4. I've got to go in an hour to the football. Thank you so much for your time. Shetaveha. Does that mean you're welcome or oh, go away? <laughs> no, you're welcome. If you know someone who would enjoy listening to this chat, please share or recommend this episode and, of course, last week's, which was the first half. Either recommend on social media, which is always appreciated, or even when you speak to someone, word of mouth. All of your help is greatly appreciated and it's really important for spreading the word of what we're up to with On Farm. Thanks to Donald, or Sweeney. As he says, Ness is the centre of his universe and I think that really came across in the past two episodes. Thanks also to On Farm producer Dave Howard and massive thanks to our supporters for these episodes, the Scottish Rural Network, which is part of the Scottish Government's Rural Development Programme. The On Farm Podcast and Training Academy are both brought to you by our team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. Give us a shout, come and chat to us anytime 
about rural comms and marketing. We would love to hear from you.